From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The Texas legislature sets to wrap up its third special session of the year with a focus on redistricting. There are new concerns about the state's power grid as the weather starts to cool down. And early voting starts Monday for the November election, which will feature eight proposed amendments to the Texas Constitution. This week, Julie Fine and Meredith Land talked to the chair of the Texas Public Utility Commission, Peter Lake, Rudy Bush of the Dallas Morning News, and Zach Elkins, a government professor at the University of Texas. Grummer Jeffers is off this week. Before we dive in, please take a moment to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics podcast. It helps us grow the show and helps others find it. The Texas Public Utility Commission met last week to discuss new rules intended to protect the state power grid from winter storms and prevent a repeat of last year's deadly outages. The commission will adopt new rules in the next 60 days that will require power plants to do more to protect equipment from cold weather. Peter Lake was appointed chair of the Public Utility Commission by Governor Greg Abbott in April after all commissioners on the three-person board resigned in the aftermath of the storm. Lake previously served on the Texas Water Development Board, and his term expires in September 2023. Here he is with Julian Meredith. And the chairman joins us this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning. It's a pleasure. Let's begin with this. If we see a storm like we did earlier this year, will the power grid hold? Well, as you know, weather in Texas is always unpredictable, but I can guarantee you that our power grid will be better prepared and more resilient this winter than it was last winter. We've taken robust steps to ensure that both the physical infrastructure is in better shape and that we are operating the power grid in a much more conservative manner. Uh, Chairman, we will be uh, the legislature has directed you to write new rules requiring power plants to winterize the equipment. So will those rules be in place soon enough, though, to make a difference this winter? Oh, you betcha. We uh, received direction in landmark legislation uh, from the most recent uh, legislative session to weatherize our power grid, and we are tackling that head on. First and foremost, we are requiring generators in Texas to be up to federal weatherization standards and to mitigate any problems they had last winter. Anything that broke last winter, they've got to have fixed and they've got to have it done by December 1st. Any power generators that fail to meet these new requirements are subject to a fine of up to $1 million per day per incident. So while you can control what happens with the power companies, you don't regulate the gas companies, how confident are you in the gas system going into the winter? We've got a high degree of confidence because of the direction the legislature gave us to work with our counterparts at the Texas Railroad Commission and the industry, both the power industry and the gas industry, to make sure that, one, we've identified the critical natural gas infrastructure uh, that supplies our generating plants, and two, that we're working with our power generators to ensure that they have the mechanisms and the financial backing they need to procure that natural gas. You know, Chairman, we heard often after the storm that this grid was made for heat, you know, Texas, not the cold. But this summer, there were calls for conservation. Can you explain that to us? Yes, ma'am. Unfortunately, uh, ERCOT in the past has operated on a crisis-based business model. The only way our power generators were uh, the folks who provide power to our state were able to operate at a, at a profitable business manner was to 
have ERCOT take the grid right to the brink. Uh, and that's the way it worked for a long time. But we can't do that anymore. We're moving away from this crisis-based business model to ensure that we, we absolutely cannot get another circumstance like we had last winter. Federal regulators say they're concerned that our state is at greater risk of outages in summer as well because we don't have enough power plants to cover for days when the wind and the solar fall short. How do you convince co companies to build more firm power plants here in the state? That is the heart of our market redesign effort that you mentioned a little bit in your opening there. We are redesigning the ERCOT grid to not only address the challenges of extreme weather events like uh, the winter storm we experienced earlier in 2021, but to also make sure that we have a reliable grid on those blue sky days like we saw earlier in June. Uh, we had a, a confluence of events uh, where a lot of machinery broke. It was a little hotter than normal, uh, but the wind dropped off. And we're, we're being harshly honest about the pros and cons of each of our resource types. There's a lot of benefits of wind and solar. It's a self-contained supply chain. You don't have to worry about where you get your gas or your coal from. But we're also being realistic about uh, the reliability challenges that come with the wind. The wind can stop blowing and clouds can cover up the sun. And so that's, that is the crux of us redesigning the ERCOT market. Chairman. Uh, we'll have that blueprint. Yes, ma'am. So, sorry to interrupt here. You know, many felt there was a lack of communication between power companies, gas companies, you know, getting information out to the public in the midst of all this when it came to rolling blackouts. Is there now a system in place so Texans know sooner what is ahead for them if a storm or heat emergency happens? Absolutely. We've established an alert system through Texas Division of Emergency Management and DPS, and more importantly, when extreme weather events happen and the state uh, calls up its emergency operations center, for the first time, operators from ERCOT, the Public Utility Commission, and the Railroad Commission, which oversees the oil and gas industry, are sitting next to each other at the center of the state operations center to make sure not only is there communication between the regulatory agencies, but also the companies uh, in the power generating space, all in the gas companies, and a coordinated frequently updated messaging uh, system to the public. Chairman, before I let you go, you took this over at a very challenging time. You know, now you're really getting into the job here. What do you think really is, there's so much really ahead for you. What's the biggest challenge moving forward? Uh, well, challenging time might be an understatement, mm -hmm. uh, Julie, but <laughs> we, we certainly have our work cut out for us. Um, We've got weatherization rules being implemented. Uh, as we mentioned December 1st, we've got a market redesign that is uh, once in a generation, the entire world is watching how we handle uh, the reliability uh, challenge that we face. Uh, and we're continuing to work forward on our natural, natural gas uh, critical infrastructure mapping. So there's, we don't have any one big challenge. Uh, Julia, I'd say all of our challenges are, are all huge challenges. But they're so important that not, no one's bigger than the other. Uh, Texas businesses demand reliable power. Our citizens deserve it. And we're going to make sure we deliver that to the state of Texas. Chairman Lake, I know you had a busy week. We really appreciate you taking the time for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. As the Texas legislature prepares to conclude its third and maybe final special session of the year, Lawmakers are finalizing redistricting maps. 
but there are several items on Governor Abbott's agenda for the session that have not yet been addressed. Rudy Bush is the deputy editorial page editor for the Dallas Morning News and joins Julian Meredith to discuss the session, which ends on Tuesday. There is still a lot on the agenda before the Texas legislature's third special session wraps up on Tuesday. The focus of this session has been redistricting to help us understand where the process stands. Rudy Bush with the Dallas Morning News joins us now to kind of boil it all down for us. Sure. Thank you for being with us. Oh, glad to be here. The redistricting decisions can really shape, right, who is elected for years to come. Let's start, though, first with the Texas House and the Senate maps. Your takeaways from those? They're gerrymandered as heck. <laughs> they're, yeah, right. they're drawn all over the place and, and, and they're drawn in such a way that they make sure that they give uh, incumbent Republicans the, the best advantage and they create new districts that will largely skew in, in, in favor of Republicans. And, and look, gerrymandering is a bad word only if you're the party that's not in power. It's legal to draw maps in a way that uh, advantage the party in power. But these maps bring a lot of questions about whether they fairly represent the growth in the state's minority population. And so I think it's going to be hard for the GOP, maybe not necessarily to pass these maps and to put them into effect, but to have voters in the state broadly think they're fair. Yeah. Well, and at this point, too, Rudy, it's different than in the 2011 when the maps could be challenged. Yeah, yeah. There's different rules this time. Yeah, there's no federal preclearance, as it, as it was called, that was uh, required under the Voting Rights Act. So these maps likely will go into effect, although I believe there are going to be any number of efforts to challenge them. And let's talk a little bit about the congressional maps. I yeah. mean, same type, you know, your, your take on that. Well, look, same, same story. Uh, you have uh, maps that are drawn in ways that sort of dilute an increasingly diverse suburban vote and uh, place it with uh, a rural districts, or you have uh, maps that really condense the votes of minorities within urban areas. And, and as you guys know, uh, North Texas did not get a new uh, seat. Maybe you wanted to get into that. Well, you know, critics have yeah. basically said regarding that, you know, that there should have been a minority opportunity district in North Texas because of the large Hispanic growth or anywhere in the state for that matter. I mean, what's your feeling on that? Well, look, I think that it is 95 uh, percent of the growth in the state's population was uh, of people of color. Mm -hmm. And so when you come out with congressional maps that have no new majority Hispanic or black districts, that is going to raise a lot of questions about the fairness of the maps. Yeah. Rudy, I got to ask you, this is the yeah. third special session. Are we headed for a fourth? Uh, you, guys, you guys are going to have to tell me because it seems <laughs> like the governor, every time the political winds blow a little bit, he is adding a new priority. And I don't, I don't know that this legislature is going to get through all of his priorities by the time the session closes this next huh. week. But I know everybody is exhausted. Ready to roll out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, too, yeah. the redistricting is always difficult and sure. this comes off special sessions mayor you know i mean yeah. you reported on it with me every day yes. when it, when the walk out yep. so it, it will be interesting to see if a few aren't addressed because you know we're here on sunday it's over on tuesday yep. what the governor decides to do do you think now 
because of this. I mean, if you look back, we've been doing this for what, 10 months now? Yeah. The legislative, really, the legislature's it's been January. forever. I yeah, think. it feels like a long time. Do you think that now this gets to the point where they will consider, okay, maybe we should meet more than every other year? Here's the, here's the deal about, about this. Look, we're in silly season, which is primary season, so we're tacking in these, these special sessions because we, people in power, particularly the governor, need to be able to signal to the base that these are important issues that I'm taking on for you. But at, the, the problem, I think, Julie, is that we don't get out of silly season anymore. We used to, mm -hmm. uh, but now we live that way. And we're a democracy, and our, poli our politics reflect us. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're so politically focused now that we don't seem to be able to get away from it. And whether they make the legislative season longer or they keep adding special sessions, I think this is how we live for a while. How does all of this impact 2022? So for Texas representation, I tend to think that Republicans will hold majorities. Mm -hmm. Gerrymandered districts do what they're supposed to do. Right. They elect the kind of representatives that, that you would think they would represent. Uh, I think long term, it creates a disadvantage for Republicans. And it's almost too bad that they didn't look at this redistricting as an opportunity to go find new voters who they might be able to convince of their messaging, mm -hmm. because there's evidence that that's entirely possible. Yeah. So um, what about your crystal ball real quick? When you say you see the Republicans holding in 2022, and let's look at the U.S. House, you see the Republicans holding in 2022, but if you look at the new districts, and you say, with holding, if they hold, the Democrats still have the House. Does it flip? I don't know, uh, Julie. It's, it, look, the, the winds are really changing. I'm, I'm afraid of making a huge prediction now. I think that the majorities that Republicans have in the state are fragile. And, and, and they're going to be fragile for a, a long time if the way that they go capture votes is reflected in the way that they drew these districts. Because the state is not trending that way. It hasn't been trending that way for a long time. And it, it, it creates a problem for you as a party if you have to keep going to an ever smaller pool of voters to remain in power. Early voting in the November 2nd election starts Monday. There are eight proposed amendments to the Texas Constitution on the ballot, including a couple that are direct responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. One would prohibit any state order from limiting houses of worship or religious organizations, and the other would designate a primary caregiver for those in assisted living who could not be barred from visiting. Zach Elkins is a professor of government at the University of Texas who's been following the proposed amendments. He explains what voters should know before they head to the polls. All right, Professor, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Hey, let's talk first. I want to talk to you about Proposition 3 that would prohibit the state from issuing any order that limits religious services. You know, we heard kind of some talk about that during the Texas legislature this year in response to the pandemic. Where do you think this goes mm -hmm. on the ballot? Yeah, it's, it's obviously quite topical. Um, and maybe at this point, it feels very kind of early 2021 since we're not really grappling with those issues right now. Um, you know, I think like all amendments, it will pass because if it's gone through two thirds of both houses, um, these things always are highly consensual things and people um, can't imagine restricting religious liberty these days. So I think that's going to pass quite easily, like 
like all of them as you know. I got to ask you about uh, one that's kind of linked to the pandemic and that's Prop 6, right? Which designate a caregiver for residents of assisted living facilities who could not be barred from visiting that resident. Uh, what's what's this about? Well, I think everybody's on board with that. And there have been some constraints uh, with elderly. And again, this is partly a uh, pandemic thing, access uh, to the elderly and some actually dying without seeing uh, their, their closest friends and relatives at the end. Um, the idea that, that the designated caregiver wouldn't be able to get in to see um, somebody in one of these facilities just strikes people as, as heartless. So um, again, that's going to pass as well. Uh, you know, in the last 30 years, I think it's something like 90% of these things have passed. Uh, voters are just very acquiescent uh, to the Texas legislature on these kinds of things, if they could even understand what the proposal is, which mm -hmm. this year actually people can understand them. There's not much Latin, uh, you know, uh, shorter sentences. So it's an improvement in terms of style, I think. I mean, do you think sometimes people just go in there and they just are, you know, they really make the decision right there on, oh, yeah. the, on the propositions? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting. There are only about 10% of the electorate that shows up for these things. And we've done a few studies along those lines. It is a pretty dedicated group that shows up. Um, they profess, we did a couple exit polls, they profess to have actually done some research um, and have thought about these issues and have considered opinions. Um, on the other hand, I, I think a lot of them come in with a default plan and usually a default plan of yes, uh, mostly because cognitively it's hard to work your way through 10 of these things. And, uh, you know, they want to do their their job as a, as, a, as a voter, but at the same time, uh, they want to get through the ballot as quickly as possible. So yes is usually the right strategy. It's really different in places like California or Switzerland in which, uh, you know, people are weary of, uh, of constant initiatives and constant uh, referendums. And, and in that case, the default strategy is one of no, which is... Uh, you know, in some ways, uh, it makes sense if you're if, if you're you're fatigued of all these ballots. But uh, you know, Texas Texans might be a little more positive in this respect. Do you feel that we're seeing certain? I mean, we just talked about two, but because of the pandemic, do you feel the propositions are you know really in relation, and that's why we're seeing them now? Yeah, they most of them feel like pandemic era propositions. Some of them don't. So there's always some randomness and some really kind of exotic and idiosyncratic proposals. So, for example, uh, this one about allowing charities uh, to run raffles at rodeos. I mean, that feels very Texan. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and I feel like ones like that are just a simple correction to the record where things are out of balance or unequal. You know, if other uh, sports events are, are having charitable raffles, why not rodeos? And so that's just uh, correcting the record and voters uh, are okay with that. What's strange about this year's crop is that not only, as I mentioned before, it's actually a lot of them are in plain English and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And in fact, by the way, there was a there was a proposal by Representative Kenny Noble actually to, to put these proposals in plain English. And even though that didn't pass, it seems like legislative council wrote them that way. But uh, so they're easier to understand. But but what's different also this year is that there's just very few about taxes. And so you might remember the one from two years ago, basically uh, outlawing um, income tax. And that was, of course, brought a lot of people to the polls and passed overwhelmingly. But uh, I, I feel like these are a little less political, a little less uh, controversial than they have been perhaps. Yeah, more more human. Which one do you think will get yeah. the most attention? Um, It might be. A, a, I think it's there's a 
there's a tendency to focus on the things at the top of the ballot and there's a little bit of ballot fatigue. So uh, I think the charities will, um, you know, voters will be sure to answer that. And if they drop off the rest of the ballot, uh, that's one thing. But I, I, I think the, um, the one we, we talked about with respect to uh, caregivers being able to see uh, uh, somebody in a nursing home, I think that's probably going to touch a lot of heartstrings and um, probably uh, get a little bit of talk. Uh, there's some really arcane technical ones about uh, changing the restrictions on uh, who can run for certain offices and serve in the judiciary in certain uh, positions. And uh, I don't think people either know the backstory behind those or if they do uh, care. So that that probably won't be on the top of the fold in the newspaper headlines. But yeah. Zach Elkins, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Early voting runs through October 29th. Thanks to Peter Lake, Rudy Bush, and Zach Elkins for joining the show this week. You can stay up to date on everything Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.